Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Baran, a ministry of Worship Generation Church in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. come to 1st Kings chapter 3 Solomon is now the king he has replaced his father David we're told in chapter 2 that David we had the final words of David we did topically a couple weeks ago and then in chapter 2 he says I go the way of all the earth he said to Solomon and then he stepped into eternity and so it is with all of us as I even was mentioning earlier and it's the time of Solomon and it's about it's about 1000 BC ish and he's the third king of Israel. Saul was the first king. He's a bad king. God replaced him. David's the second king. He's a great king. And he's the one with the heart for God. And his son Solomon is now the king. David had many sons. And as you know, Adonijah tried to ascend to the throne. And he led treason against his brother Solomon, whom God had chosen to be the king. All that's behind us now. Solomon is a king. He's on the throne. His mother Bathsheba is there like at a She's in the palace as well. And this is where it's at as we pick up the text. Now, in chapter 3, it starts that Solomon married Pharaoh's daughter. And so we talk about these political allegiances that monarchs have where you, it's kind of hard to attack your father-in-law as an army. And so um, Solomon has married Pharaoh's daughter. And so he's married outside of Israel. And this will be his downfall later on, all the foreign wives he took and all that. But that's for another study. He already had an Ammonitis wife before that, when you harmonize the scriptures. So in his personal life, he's repeating some of the mistakes of his father, David. But like his father, David, he has a heart for the Lord. And we're told before we get to our text tonight that he loved the Lord. And so he went to Gibeon to offer up sacrifices to the Lord there in modern Israel. And we pick it up in verse four and we read this. Now, the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, and there was the great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar at Gibeon. The Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what shall I give you? And Solomon said, You have shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart with you. And you have continued this great kindness for him, And you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is to this day. Now, Lord, my God, you've made your servant king instead of my father, David. But I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you've chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? And the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon asked this thing. Then God said to him, because you've asked this thing and not asked long life for yourself, nor asked riches for yourself, nor have you asked for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself to understand, to discern justice. Behold, I've done according to your words. See, I've given you a wise and understanding heart so that there's not been anyone like you before, nor shall any like you arise after you. And I've also given you what you've not asked both riches and honor, so that there shall be none 
There shall not be anyone like you among the kings all your days. So if you walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. Then Solomon awoke, and indeed it had been a dream. And he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, offered up burnt offerings, offered peace offerings, and made a feast for all his servants. So the contrast between David and Solomon, David had the heart for the Lord and all the many mistakes that we read about that he made in 2 Samuel. The adultery with Bathsheba, the murder of Uriah, his, one of his mighty men. Then David took the census against the will of the Lord. That caused some problems. But as a whole, if you look at his whole life, the macro picture of his life is a great life. He loved the Lord. He wrote all those beautiful psalms. And there's none like David. He's, most world cultures have heard of the great King David from the Holy Scriptures of the Bible. Then Solomon, his son, is different than David, of course. But remember, the child that Bathsheba and David had from adultery, that child died after seven days. And in their grief and sorrow, they mourned together. And then eventually God gave them another child, Solomon. And Solomon is beloved of the Lord because he was beloved of the Lord. God actually set Solomon apart. So in the birth of Solomon, we really have that symbolic picture that in Adam all sin and die, but in Christ all are made alive. And that first son died with the sin, the adultery, but the second son, they find grace because even being married after the adultery, God redeems all that and gives him a son, beloved of the Lord. They found grace. And this is part of that beautiful redemption story. Now, interesting things about Solomon, in the Old Testament, we know the Bible makes clear that all have sinned, come short of the glory of God and that we need to be saved by grace and through faith find mercy and, and, and believe in God and trust in the Lord and his promises for salvation. It's clearly there in the Old Testament. But Solomon is the one person in the Old Testament that said, all have sinned. So the wisest man, we're told right here, he's the wisest man that ever lived. He says, because we know like Romans 3.23, you got a Billy Graham crusade or a great glory crusade. You know, the Bible says that all have sinned. Solomon says that in the Old Testament. That's what Solomon said. Solomon would say the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And Solomon is the great king known for his wisdom. That he asked for wisdom and in this dream. The dream is interesting. Dreams are interesting. In our mind are trillions of cells. And the capacity to... Our mind is the ultimate supercomputer. And our subconscious retains everything, all the images, the memories. It's all there. It's all in us. It's all there. And there's something about when we fall asleep and we're almost awake or awakened to sleep, these two dimensions that we have. And there's a sweet spot. There's a sweet spot where there tends to be a lot of creativity. In fact, I'll tell you, I usually take a nap every day that I teach. And I fill my mind with the scriptures I'm going to be teaching. And as I wake up, I just meditate upon the macro thoughts and maybe the points. And I just let it seep into my subconscious so it's there instinctively when I'm teaching. The mind's an amazing thing, and dreams are an amazing thing. Now, I've been in ministry for 34 years, and a lot of people have come to me over time saying, like, I had this dream. Is it of the Lord? Is it of the devil? Is it of me? And that's the tricky thing with dreams, right? In my own experience, I've had dreams from the Lord. I've had absolute, very profound dreams. Many of you know, before I won the Pipe Masters, that same night of December 16th to December 17th, 1984, I dreamed I won the Pipe Masters. 
And when I won the Pipe Masters and on that afternoon on the 17th, there was a moment in the finals that was exactly as my dream was. And my dream was so clear where I woke up, I was so bummed because I had fulfilled my life goal. My whole life was winning the Pipe Masters and I had fulfilled it in my dream. And then I woke up, I was like, oh no, it's just a dream. But then in the finals, I had this, the dream that I saw was fulfilled in the final. And that moment in the last 15 minutes of the final, I knew I was going to win the Pipe Masters. And I knew the Lord had given me that dream. And I've had a few other dreams like that since then. I once had a dream in Virginia Beach. We're going to do an outreach with another church. And I prayed about it. And the Lord said, don't do that outreach. It's going to flood that day and no one's going to come. It was the strangest dream. Like, I woke up like, wow, like, how do I tell this pastor I had a dream? God said it's going to flood and no one's going to come. So I told him, I just, I don't feel led to do this. I think it's, there's going to be a flood and no one's going to come. That's the day it rained six inches in Virginia Beach. And everything was flooded out and nobody came. They persisted with the event and literally nobody came. You just never know, right? But I've had other dreams that didn't come to pass. And so have you, right? Maybe you had an intuitive dream and it came to pass. Or you had something that you felt like was from the Lord. A lot of times people come to Christ because God gave them a visionary dream. And then it comes to pass and they realize they're in a great glory crusade. Like, this is my dream. And they go forward, right? Or someone prays with them. So we know God works that way. God does like to work in the dream world. In the New Testament, we see there when Jesus is announced to the world, Mary, Gabriel, and others, God speaks in the dreams to the shepherds. He, he gives warnings. He's, he, 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 he speaks in dreams. We're even told prophetically from the book of Joel that people will prophesy in the last days and that you'll dream dreams and things will be there. So when we think about just dreams in general, don't underestimate the Lord. Don't try and spiritualize everything and make it a dream from the Lord. But just, you know, the Bible says, test all things, hold fast, that which is good. I've had really bad dreams from the devil. I've had a couple of very special dreams from the Lord. And I have all kinds of strange dreams because I've been a funny little man for 61 years. Okay? So I just don't think too much of it. It's like, if the Lord's in it, he'll confirm it. He'll give me some kind of confirmation. Because we test all things. So if God gives you something, if it, if it matches up with Scripture, if it's contrary to Scripture, that's not of the Lord. If it's discouraging to your faith and makes you, dumbs you down and makes you small-minded for the kingdom, that is not the Lord. But if it's something like, hey, the Lord's saying, look out for this or be aware of that, or hey, step out in faith with this, it could be the Lord. A dream's kind of like sprinkles on your frosted cake. The Word of God is the cake, and the Spirit is the frosting. A dream might be the sprinkles, kind of give you things. But of course, in the Bible, there are very profound times very deliberate dreams. They're absolute, and they were received by faith. This dream is real. This dream changed the world. And if you don't think so, one of the greatest historical books in the history of humanity is the book of Proverbs written by Solomon. There's more archaeological support for his book than the human history they teach in the UC college system of Roman history and other world history. We have all kinds of historical records of Solomon's book of Proverbs that predate the time of Christ, archaeological support. We have all these things availed to us, confirmed by archaeology. He's, he lived 3,000 years ago. God said by his spirit, he's the wisest man that ever lived. God gave him, so you think something like Einstein, really smart, right? Or Thomas Edison, 10,000 failures, figures it out. Henry Ford, brilliant mind, get it done. We can't make a V8. Yes, you can. Go back in the room and figure it out, right? Like, there are some really brilliant minds. I mean, they're driving a Jeep on Mars. I don't think it's broken right now. I think it's working again. There's people that are really brilliant. We have rocket scientists in this church. But Solomon is really smart. In fact, we already saw in chapter 2 
that David, before he dies, goes, he tells Solomon, look, use your wisdom. This is before the dream. He's already shown, like, he's that dude. He's that guy. And David's like, hey, use your wisdom to know how to deal with Joab. Then use your wisdom, that wisdom that you have, to deal with Shimei. So that he already, that he had incredible gifts. There's, he, had, he had wisdom, just the ability, like, oh, it's just that guy. Like a genius wisdom. But then after this dream, it's a whole other level. And only Jesus, who, of course, is the Son of God, surpassed that. He's an incredible person, Solomon. And this dream tells us about what happened between him and the Lord in that sort of conscious, subconscious area where the Lord came to him in this dream. And it changed human history. I read the Proverbs within every three days. I have a book of the Proverbs that Keith gave me, our congregant who's here tonight. He gave it to me. It has some previous markings. He bought it at a used bookstore. It's a living Bible, like from the 60s. It's just Proverbs Living Bible. Easy translation. It's really nice. It's because I've learned all those verses in New King James, so it's neat to kind of see them in a, 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 like an easier reading language. And I read them just, I read them every time I read the Proverbs. Don't you feel the same way when you read the Proverbs? You just go like, wow, like, just, it's all there. It's so practical. Wisdom, but the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and that's what all starts in Proverbs chapter 1. And then it's just all there. When I met my wife, before she was my wife, I read to her Proverbs 31 about the virtuous woman. And I said, what do you think of this? And she goes, that's the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. I'm like, what are you doing for the rest of your life? (laughs) I can remember it as clearly as, as clear as, as yesterday. And it was almost 35 years ago. The virtuous woman. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Solomon learned something with 300 wives and 700 concubines. He never found that virtuous woman, I don't think. And he knew she was out there. And so he's like, yeah. Hopefully you'll find her. And I did, and men, I hope you found yours too. So this is that Solomon, and this is that dream. But the key thought in this dream is, look what it says there in verse 5, where the, the Lord says, What shall I give you? What shall I give you? Ask, what shall I give you? Now, Jesus told us to seek, knock, and ask. The Bible tells us you have not because you ask not. So here in this dream, Solomon's the king. He's inherited all this stuff. His dad saved up all this wealth. He's in charge of something, a landmass the size of Southern California. He controls what would be the equivalent of billions of dollars of industry and wealth, real estate wealth, gold wealth, people wealth, asset wealth, commodity wealth, all that. He's in charge of it. He's a king. This is not democracy. He's the king. And the Lord says, ask, what shall I give you? This is the question of the night for all of us. If the Lord came to you and came to me in a dream, because I've been thinking about this all week and we talked about it Tuesday night. If the Lord comes to us in a dream and says, what shall I give you? That first thought is a key thought initially. Now, we might be moved by different things. And if you've been in physical pain with an infirmity, I think of Daniel Lindbergh and his vertigo that he's had for like five years. He's almost always spinning now. I can rarely come to church. And I'm sure Daniel Lindbergh would say, just that my head wouldn't be spinning, that I'd be healed of the vertigo. Because if you have physical pain and, it's, and you can't function, what's a, your health is the, the thing you really want. In Think and Grow Rich, the famous book by Napoleon Hill, the fears that people have, one of the number of fears is failing health, growing old, and dying. But failing health is one of those big three down the stretch. And our health will fail down the stretch. But you can have failing health where you're not as mobile, but you can have failing health where you're in excruciating pain. 
And whenever I talk to people that have severe pain, it, you just, that's all you can think about. When you're in severe pain, you can't think about anything. So if the Lord says, well, ask what you want. If you were healthy, you might say, hey, a house on Dana Point on the Strand right there. Yeah, that house. But if you're in excruciating pain on a scale of 0 to 10 and 8, you're thinking like to be pain-free. So it's all relative what you might ask for. But of all things we could ask for, the most important thing we could ask for are things that are spiritual. Because those are the things that benefit us in time, space, and matter. And those are things that will benefit us for all eternity. And so this question was posed to Solomon as we look at this text for the rest of the evening. I want you to just keep going over in your mind, just mulling it over. What would I ask for? What shall I give you? Maybe it's deliverance from sin that's a stronghold. Maybe it's deliverance from a relationship that just you can't, that it's just toxic and you're bound to it by law, through work or whatever. It's like, maybe it's to be delivered from debt. Maybe it's to build wealth and to feel more secure financially. And maybe it is to be pain-free. The Lord knows. Maybe it's like E, all the above, really. Maybe it's just to know that someone truly loves you. You know, I've known a lot of very, very wealthy people. Very wealthy people. And famous people, too. And the thing about wealthy people, they'll all tell you, is you never really know who your true friends are. Being wealthy is people treat you differently. And the thing about money is everyone's got an opinion how money should be spent. And some really good friends that have a lot of money, they're like, hey, everyone's got an opinion how to spend my money. And it starts in my household with my kids, and it goes to all my relatives, all my co-workers, and my hundreds of employees. And it goes back to the governor and the president and the IRS. They've all got ideas how to spend my money. And it's true. See, we can ask for temporal things, but we'll leave temporal things behind. If we're asking for the spiritual things, that's going to move us toward glory and transformation to become more like Jesus. And of course, there's nothing more valuable for our souls and our being and our purpose in being alive than to become more like Jesus. The Bible tells us we're being transformed from glory to glory. In Adam, all sin and die. And with Eve, all sin and die. So who wants to be like Eve? Getting old, losing her beauty in the flower of her youth, to be just unpleasant down the stretch? Now, there's some Eves that aren't saved, that haven't given their life to Christ, and they can be pleasant women in assisted living, memory care. I remember being in memory care a couple years ago, and this woman just kept coming after me. You ripped me off on that car deal. She wouldn't leave me alone. It's lockdown memory care. She's, I'm not, I'm not the guy who sold you the car. She had Alzheimer's, dementia, and she just, I, I was the guy. I'm like, boy, this woman had a really bad experience with a car, and she thinks I'm the guy who sold it to her. I'd like to think that a spirit-filled woman, when she gets to memory care, and I saw some in memory care just two days ago, and she was smiling, I'd like to think that the spirit-filled woman, that all, that good, all those good things of the Lord were good things in that place. See, if you put good stuff in and you're being transformed from glory to glory, when you, 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 because Alzheimer's is like Swiss cheese, and different parts of the brain can be missing with Alzheimer's. And so, like, you might be missing this, you might be missing this, short-term, long-term memory, different things. But if it's all good, then whatever you have left is good. But if it's daughter of Eve or son of Adam, then what you have is bad. And we have all know people that are older, and they just get vile and vulgar and evil, and they just say the worst things. I remember going to visit my grandmother 20-plus years ago in Vista, assisted living, and she was in her 90s, and there was a guy up front, and he was just spewing the most poisonous, vile, evil profanities and vulgarities out in, front, in the front door. For anyone walking in and out of that place, I was like, ah, note to self, don't end up like that. 
How do we not end up like that? Because he's gone. He's in eternity. By asking for the right things, the eternal things. When we're more like Jesus, we forgive. We're not bitter. When we're more like Jesus, we're gentle and we're kind, not harsh and wrath. A soft answer turns away wrath, but an angry spirit stirs it up. So when we say, the Lord asks you, what shall I give you? And you think about that on September 3rd, 2022, whether you're younger or older tonight, the answer is everything. And if you think, like, I really want wealth or temporal things, I can worry about it, and the government can take it with their new IRS agents or whatever, then fair enough if that's what you want to ask for. But that's all going to be taken away. Solomon had all of his wealth, and he said in Ecclesiastes at the end of his life, you save up all this money, you work hard, you build a business, it's an incredible business plan, and that knucklehead kid's going to wreck it all. That's a paraphrased version, but that's basically what he said. And wouldn't you know that's exactly what happened? Because Rehoboam, his son, the son of the Ammonitess, he came to power. And wouldn't you know that political allegiance of Pharaoh and Pharaoh's daughter? First thing Pharaoh did after his son-in-law died is come invade the, the relative. As soon as Solomon died, Pharaoh shows up and he invades Israel. And what does he do? He takes the gold shields of Solomon. He came and took the gold shields. And what does Rehoboam do? When you're dumbing down, you make bronze shields. He didn't expand the kingdom. He retracted it. He was in unbelief. He didn't have the faith of his father or his grandfather, David. He was retracting. So he's got bronze shields. And he can't even enjoy the bronze shields. He puts them away and locks them up every night. He brings them out in the morning. Look, my bronze shields, like my, my bronze medals for Team USA. Trust me, gold's better than bronze. And there it is. And then at night, we're told, we'll see this as we go through kings. He'd pack them up and put them away. When you think temporal, you get temporal. And Pharaoh takes what's yours. And you end up with bronze, you don't have faith, unbelief, and you offer up offerings to idols. Listen, when Jesus is Lord of everything, he's making you like him. And you're forgiving, you're gracious, and you're storing up treasures in heaven. Jesus said where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Solomon was really smart. In his self-awareness, which is a word I got when I did all that training with the U.S. Olympic Committee, but it is a good phrase, self-awareness. When the Lord said, what shall I give you? In his self-awareness, he said, I am but a little child. He talked about God's faithfulness to his dad. He understood the legacy he received as the son of the king. And he said, I am but a little child in verse 7. Now, he's a king over Southern California. And he's not building debt. He's building wealth. He built wealth. Like, Solomon is like, and he wasn't a socialist. He was a capitalist. He built wealth, and he built wealth. He strengthened his army, and he protected his wealth. And the kingdom expanded its borders, and it thrived like never before. Geopolitically, he was brilliant. But now he's on the throne, and he says, I'm but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. I don't know how to govern. I don't know how to serve the Lord. This is a great responsibility. My dad took a census and he shouldn't have, and 70,000 people died in three days. We can't number the people I'm over. I, I can't take the census, you know, because kings like census because it's taxes, right? Jesus is going to be born. What does Augustus Caesar do? Hey, count everybody so we can tax everybody. Solomon's like, we can't even count them. These are God's people. And remember, this isn't like Queen Victoria with England or Wilhelm with the third with Germany or the Prussian Empire in the 1800s. This isn't like those Austro-Hungarian kings or... Catherine the Great or Peter the Great or any of them, the Romanovs, it's, it's not like that. This king is in a covenant with God. 
There are no, this is the uniqueness of Israel's kings. They're not kings with state religions like the Polish kings. That, you know, Every king back in the day in the medieval times, and really up to about 100 years ago, they got a state church. So when Catherine the Great, the Prussian duchess, marries uh, the grandson of Peter the Great, she has to go for, they're all Christian, but she has to go from being like a Lutheran background and then be married in the Russian Orthodox faith. And that's a big deal, because remember, like, they've had a lot of wars in Europe over one thing. Communion, for example. Like, they had some big wars around Luther's time over just the issue of communion. Is it really Jesus' body, or is it symbolically that? But those are all earthly kings and queens with religion. The religion of men, you understand. But this is the Lord. This is the covenant with God. When Solomon builds the temple and dedicates the temple, the Holy Spirit, the Shekinah glory of God that you're going to see when you step into eternity as a believer, it comes to him. You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Baran. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, Visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com, where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and our church YouTube channel. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. For more information about Pastor Joey personally, You can follow him on his Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube channel. Thanks for listening, and God bless.